Ask the man who has one. That's what the ads all say. Ask the man who has one, and he'll tell you right away whether it's good or bad, a blessing or a blight. Ask the man who has one, he'll give the answer right. But ask the man who's been one, a sinner bound for hell. Ask the man who's been one, and he will quickly tell that nothing here could help him. He had to look above. His only help, his only hope was God's amazing love. And ask the man who is one, a Christian through and through. Ask the man who is one, and he will say to you, Christ satisfies that inner thirst things couldn't satisfy. Ask the man who is one, then act on his reply. Well, I'm glad to say I am one. I've been saved 60 years. I've been preaching the gospel for 55 from a broken home, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was preach. But when God called me, I knew it. And I went to my pastor within a few days and said, Pastor, I don't know anything about this, but I want to preach. And he said, well, we're having a revival and we're going to have some cottage prayer meetings. Would you, would you speak in one of those? And I did, and uh, that was 55 years ago, and I haven't stopped since. Now, some of these things you can't understand, but when God's working in your heart, you know and the greatest joy and the greatest privilege in life, young people, is to be a servant for Christ. Now, Linda and I set out, set out, we've been married. This summer we'll finish 53 years together. And before we were ever married, we just determined with God's help, we wanted to serve him. We wanted to go anywhere he wanted us to go. And <clears throat> we didn't know at that time it would be Africa, but it was for 20 years. And uh, we were there till we got chased out with fighting. And I became pastor of my sending church for nine years and taught missions at the same time and was there and thought I would love that and thought I'd live and die there. And then Dr. Sis, he always gets me in trouble. <clears throat> Brother God, would you pray about coming back with BIMI? Which we did, but then he wanted me to be Far East Field Director. Now think about that. Why would you want an African to be Far East Field Director? Uh, but... Dr. Sisk is usually right. <laughs> and so we did that for 10 years, and then I've been uh, vice president, executive director at BMI for another 10 and over a little bit. I want you to open your Bible. I'm going to do something this morning that I know is a challenge, because I'm going to speak from one of the most famous stories <clears throat> in the New Testament. It's found in all four of the Gospels. Look, young people, if it's in this book, it's important. But if it's in all the Gospels, then you better pay attention. And I want you to turn to John chapter 6. And I want to speak from the story, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, uh-oh. How many of you <clears throat> have ever heard a sermon before on the feeding of the 5,000? How many of you have heard five sermons on the feeding of the 5,000? How many of us older folk, we've heard 50 sermons? <laughs> All right, I've heard some of the great men of God preach on it. I've heard, we grew up, Linda and I, under Dr. Harold Seitler and Oliver B. Green and B.R. Lakin and Dr. Lee Robertson was our pastor for four years and uh, Dr. Jack Hudson and uh, Dr. Bob Kelly, some, some men that God has really used in my life. I've heard some great men preach on this. But one year I was in Japan and I was working on my Japanese, but it wasn't so good. And I heard a young Japanese man who was graduating from our Bible college 
Kansai Independent Baptist Bible School in Kobe, Japan, and he was graduating, and he preached a sermon, and I couldn't understand most of it, so I didn't steal his sermon. But I did get his three points. Just, I've heard great men preach on it, and I'm sitting there that day thinking, I've heard some great sermons, but I don't think I've ever heard anything so simple, yet so profound, as I heard that young Japanese guy give. So my thoughts today will be very simple, uh, but and the, uh, the three points will be from that young Japanese guy, but this, you can tell it's my sermon when I get into it. All right, John chapter 6 and verse number 4. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nine. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him. Let me just pause there to say, when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus, Jesus is seeing people. And that's what it's about. He, he lifted up his eyes and saw these people. And he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. <clears throat> now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fish as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Well, I mentioned I've heard some great men preach on this, and I was sitting there that day listening to this young Japanese guy, and here's what he said. He said, the little boy's gift was not important. It was to whom he gave his gift. Here was a little boy, and he went out that day. Just picture him standing there all day watching and listening to Jesus Christ. If you go back and read the chapters before this, Jesus had been healing people. Jesus had been preaching great messages, showing his power. And here was this little guy that had got up probably that morning, and his mother prepared him. It wasn't a sack lunch in those days, probably a basket lunch, just some plain little barley loaves couple of little fish. Listen, this was, not, uh, this was not rainbow trout. It wasn't big mouth bass. It wasn't mahi-mahi. This was a little boy's pieces of bread and probably some sardines. How many of you like, anybody likes, I do, like sardines? The truth is more than likely they were dried fish. Hot climate, fish don't keep too long. So here was a little boy, went out that day, standing there watching Jesus, seeing Jesus walk up to a blind man and touch his eyes and he could see. Listening to his sermons, you know his heart was moved. What he had in his hand that day wasn't worth a lot. Now some of you, even those of you who surrendered yesterday, you think, well, I, God's called me to pre be a preacher, but I'm not, I'm not sure how much God can use me because I don't have a lot of talent. 
Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you would say, I, I can't sing like some of the, like these young people that come up here? I would raise my hand. Uh, I've never been a great singer, especially now I've got a dead vocal cord. It doesn't work too well. And uh, I'm not a great singer. And sometimes we sit and we listen and we think, well, God couldn't use me because I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of ability. I could never memorize all those verses that Dr. Getch did. I could never preach like Pastor Chapel. I could never do this. You're, you're exactly the person that, who God's looking for. Because he doesn't need a great amount of talent and ability and all that, even though there's certainly nothing wrong with any of that. God's looking for someone who will say, Lord, what, it, what I have, I bring to you, I give to you. This little boy surely knew something standing there watching Jesus. There's something different about that man. He's the friend of sinners. He's the Savior. He's God Almighty. And the question when we think about this to us is this. Do you understand that the Lord willingly takes you and takes me and accepts us. And when we come to him and say, Lord, here's my life, uh, can I just add right here, when you give your life to Christ, it's an adventure. You don't know what's going to happen in the future, and you don't need to know what's going to happen in the future, but I'll promise you this, when you give your heart and your life to Christ, it will be the greatest adventure you've ever had. Just give your life, give your gift, give your talents, and thank God for it. Let me, for you, those of you who are preaching and serving, let me just give you a little parenthetical thing right here. Did you notice in this story that the little boy did not give his gift to the multitude? He didn't give his gift to the ministry. If you do that, you'll burn yourself out. He gave his gift to Christ, and when Christ took it, he thanked God for it. Christ did. Back in our younger days, we were young. <laughs> uh, being old has some advantages. All the children are gone. The grandkids come, but they don't stay too long. So it has advantages being old. It has some disadvantages. But Lynn and I grew up in the same church. Now, we weren't big friends back then because she was a grade ahead of me in school. But we did sort of know each other. <clears throat> but if you'd gone to the church, country church where we grew up and you looked at us, you would have said, well, you, you would have thought, there's a little boy and a little girl that um, God couldn't use them. Because we were a we were about as shy and bashful and timid as you could imagine all of our young lives. Linda wouldn't even talk to you. and just You just had to look her right straight in the eye, and then she would hide behind her mother and peek around the side. I was from a broken home. My dad had left. I grew up with my grandparents, and I had no great desire to be around people. I was just so timid. But God... In his mercy, I heard the gospel many times. I trusted Christ as my Savior. 16, sitting in a funeral one day, had nothing to do with that funeral, but sitting there in that quiet, God started dealing with me about being a preacher of the gospel. That was on a Tuesday. And I said that day to God, Lord, 
I don't understand it, but if you want me to preach, I will do my best. Well, Sunday I went to church, and uh, I was not going to go forward at the altar call. In my memories, the only time in that church I, I remember, I sat in the balcony on the back row as far away as I could get. And the preacher preached that day, and uh, I'm standing back there, and again, I'm holding on. I was not going to go forward. And I stood it, and to the song leader said, one more stanza. Unless somebody comes out, that's all we're going to sing today. And I had, I left my seat way up there, came down the steps, came to the front, told those people God had called me to preach. Well, now, Linda grew up in that same church. Her mom and dad went to that church. So years later, after I married her, I found out what her daddy said that day. Her dad went home that day, preacher, and told her mother, honey, that little fella never will make a preacher. <laughs> and, you know, he, he's right about that. You don't make preachers. Only God can do that. Boy, but when God touches your heart to be his servant, a, a pastor, a missionary, a Christian school teacher, whatever it is God has for you, it's the greatest thing in the world. Now think about it. It was not the value of the little boy's lunch. It was that he gave it to Jesus. Here's my second point. And this is a miracle in itself. The little boy gave all of his lunch to Jesus. How many of you learn by now that boys and girls are different? <laughs> well, we know that well. We have, th we have five children. We have two boys. The oldest and the youngest are almost 18 years apart. And then we have three girls in between there. So if you came to me and said, now, Brother Godfrey, your daughter Hannah, she's our oldest, heard that one of her neighbors lost their job, and Hannah went into her kitchen cupboards and, and took food out of the cupboard, and she went over to visit the neighbors and gave them the food that she had. I would say, uh, I believe you, my Hannah would do that. That sounds just like her. Well, if you came to me and said, Brother Godfrey, your daughter Bonita, Bonita, her husband's missions pastor and song leader at Temple Baptist Church in Herner, Virginia. And if her husband started their Spanish church there. And if you told me, Brother Godfrey, Benita heard that one of those Hispanic families had a great need, and Benita took all the money that she had in her purse and gave it to those people. I would say, uh, you're right, Benita. She was born in Africa, grew up there. But that sounds just like Benita. She would do that. Now, if you came and said, Brother God, for your daughter Lydia, that's our youngest, she married a young guy that grew up in, in Nepal. Linda and I flew all the way to Kathmandu, Nepal, for the birth of a granddaughter about 13 or 14 years ago. If you want to know exactly, ask her. I have no idea. How many of you guys, older guys, you know, I know, I know I have grandkids, but don't ask me when they were born. Anyway, if you told me, Brother Godfrey, Lydia, your daughter, heard that one of their neighbors had a baby that was sick and needed to go to the hospital. Now, when you go to the hospital in Nepal, it is different. Our son-in-law had surgery there. Before you go to the hospital, you have to go to the pharmacy and buy the, the syringes and the IVs and the galls, and there's nothing when you get to that hospital. So if you told me Lydia heard that one of the families had a little baby that was sick and Lydia got all her money and things she had and took over to help those people, I would say, that sounds just like Lydia, she would do that. 
our girls grew up, they didn't play with dolls, they played with real African babies. They'd come home with an African baby strapped on their back. And um, anyway, if you told me about my girls that they did that, I would say, I believe you. But if you came to me and you said, Brother Godfrey, your son Lane, or your son Robert, gave all of their lunch to feed some people, I would say, you are lying. <laughs> Girls, maybe, okay. Boys don't do that. You know, I, have you ever thought, put yourself in the place of this young lad standing there that day watching this picture? I think I would have been wondering, why didn't everybody else's mama fix them a lunch? And this is Godfrey theology. I would have had it already figured out. I've been standing here watching this man, Jesus, and it's obvious he loves me. And he's my Savior. And my mother gave me five pieces of bread and two fish, and I really want to sacrifice today. So here's the way I would do it. I'm going to give Jesus three pieces of bread and a fish. How many of you got I know. How many of you guys, that's, that way you're sacrificing because you're giving Jesus more, but you're still, it's amazing in this story. Now watch it. The little boy didn't hesitate. He gave all of his lunch to Jesus. When I got saved, that was a great day in my life. I've never regretted that. I, I don't have to worry about going to hell because I'm in Christ. I'm not trusting in good works or my own righteousness. I'm trusting in the complete work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. But I tell you, young people, another great day, and actually this has happened more than once in my life, another great day in my life was when as a believer I came to him and said, Lord, I'm, I want you to have everything that I am, everything I have, everything that I ever will have is yours. You talk about taking the burden off, taking the pressure off. When you say, Lord, uh, my plans, what I'm going to do with my life, who I'm going to marry, uh, how I'm going to rear my children, my future, my safety. Occasionally people, y'all wouldn't believe this, but people will fuss at me sometimes. <laughs> and they'll say, Brother Godfrey, how could you dare take your wife and your little kids 500 kilometers out in the middle of the jungle. How could you do that? There's no doctor. There's no health care. We had the only clinic in our little village on top of a mountain. We had the only medical clinic for 100 miles. They would sit critically ill people on a bicycle and push them there. We had no doctor. Got a couple of African nurses. Lynn and I bought, we bought the medicines and kind of managed it. In the middle of the night, she'd be down in a in a hut holding up a lantern while some lady had a baby on a bamboo bed. There were snakes everywhere. There were crocodiles and, and uh, hippopotamus and all the while. When you think of Africa, it was, and people say, Brother God, how dare you take your wife? Uh, we were six months, no one knew we were dead or alive. We got no money for six months. Two, our two older kids were in America, one married, one was in Bible college. They didn't know we were alive through all of that. And people occasionally will ask us, well, if you didn't get any money for six months, how did you live? And so 
I have to admit sometimes I can get a little aggravated and think, have y'all ever heard of God? <laughs> See, young people, if you turn it all over to him, you never have to worry about what you're going to eat and where you're going to live and all those things. And to say, how can you do that? We turned all that over to God before we ever went to Africa. But I will t say this, that it tells me a lot about the kind of wife I have <laughs> who's followed me all over this world into some of the roughest, most dangerous places. And um, I got caught up in fighting in the capital city one time for five weeks. And she and the three kids were 500 kilometers from me up in the jungle and I couldn't get back there. I'm, I know the kind of wife I have. But listen to me this morning. Have you ever heard someone say, I regret that I gave my heart and my life to Jesus? I've not heard it, but I'll tell you what I do here. I preach and people come to the altar and they say, I wish I had. I wish I'd have surrendered when I was younger. I wish I'd have trusted Christ when I was younger. Uh, there's, there are no regrets for giving all to him. I told this in one of my classes this week, but y'all just have to forgive me. Uh, I love to travel. Well, this is going to sound weird. I don't like to travel. We do it because we want to get where we're going. But I love being out around the world, being able to go out and go soul winning and preach the gospel and see people get saved. And I was down with this uh, missionary Doug Sisson in the Philippines, as far south as you can go in the Philippines. And uh, we were out knocking on, well, we weren't knocking on doors because sometimes there's no door to knock on. We would just go up to this house or compound and we'd stand outside and say, ayo, ayo. That means I'm out here. I don't know what it means. Anyway, we'd call out and people would come out. And so we were out talking to people about the Lord. It's so easy to win people to the Lord in the Philippines. It's an amazing place. And Central America and parts of Africa is that way too. But we were out that day visiting, talking to people about the Lord. And while we were doing that, there's a little girl, a cute little girl came up behind me and she was eating a ripe guava. And I smelled it. Now you poor Americans, you don't know what good papaya and guavas and, and uh, soursop and all those wonderful things are. But I said, honey, would you eat that guava in front of me like that? And she said, well, yes, sir. <laughs> And she did. And so I was playing with her. And while I was playing with her, this, uh, this Christian, one of the church members came up to me and said, Brother Godfrey, there is a backslider who lives over there in that, in that coconut plantation. Really? Would you take me to see him? And that was a mistake because in Africa and a lot of places in the Philippines, if you ask for directions, the man holds your hand and takes you there. So... Here we go, walking down this hill, crossing this stream, going up into this. You know how hard it is for a Marine to go walking down the trail holding hands with some guy? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they led me back up into this banana coconut plantation. And there was a young man there, probably 25 years old. And uh, I walked up to him and I told him who I was. And, and I like to make him laugh. I said, you know, I like Adidas and shoestrings. Does anyone know something? You Filipinos here, you know what it is? Adidas, that's, that's uh, chicken feet. I mean, if you've never had chicken feet, you really haven't lived. I've eaten them in peanut butter sauce and glazed. And then, anyway, Adidas and shoestrings, that's chicken intestines on a skewer, rolled, oh, rolled in spice. It's so good. 
and I like blue. And anyway, I was talking, I made him laugh a little bit. And then I said to this young man, young man, do you know Christ as your Savior? And he said, uh, Brother Godfrey, I really do. I know I'm a Christian. And then I asked him another question. I said, young man, are you living for Jesus? And the moment I said that, he began to cry like a little baby. I don't mean just a few tears. He is just literally sobbing. And he, he said to me, Brother Godfrey, I was a college student, a Bible college student at Missionary Rick Martin's Bible College in Elo, Elo City. And I got discouraged and I quit. And I came back home and I'm living out here in a lean-to making palm wine for the living. And he cried and he cried and he cried. And young people, I've never heard someone say, I regret that I gave my life to Jesus, but I've heard hundreds of people say, I wish I had. Don't make that mistake. Give it all. Let me give you my third point. When this young boy gave all that he had, gave all of his lunch, now do you think when he did that that he knew what Jesus was going to do? I mean, we read the story now, and we know what he's going to do because we've read it time and time again. But I don't think the little boy had any idea what Jesus was going to do. He just knew that he loved this man, Jesus, and he didn't want Jesus to go hungry. And he gave him his lunch. But when he gave Jesus all of his lunch, he stood there and received the greatest blessing he ever had in all of his life. Now, just think about it. He gives Jesus the lunch. Do you remember what Jesus did when I read those verses? Jesus took his lunch, friend, raised his eyes up to heaven and said, Thank you, Father, for this little boy's lunch. Jesus thanked God when someone gave their all to him. And then the little boy is standing there watching Jesus take his bread and his fish and he starts to break in, and before long, there's a basket full, and Jesus says, hey, hey, John, bring me another basket over here, and he's breaking bread and breaking fish, and hey, Nathaniel, need another basket? Now, just picture this. That little boy is standing there watching Jesus. <laughs> Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve baskets full. That's my lunch. <laughs> now, I'm not preaching this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. or I'm really not. Uh, I was watching one of these faith healers on TV just a few minutes one day. Couldn't just go by, and I noticed that he was wearing a toupee. <laughs> so, <laughs> y'all to catch that later. <laughs> he must not have had too much faith. But anyway, I'm not talking about health, wealth, prosperity. But here's what I am saying. When you give your all to Christ, you stand back in amazement at what he can do with it. Twelve baskets full. And, and then Jesus, he heard Jesus say, have all the men sit down. And that wasn't counting the wives and the kids. And I thought, man, if this was Africa, think how many wives that would have been. <laughs> Where we lived, our folk had two, three, four, five. The, the imams had 20 and 25 sometimes. Some lady asked me to be her husband every week we lived there. <laughs> so 5,000 men and the wives and the children 
And that little boy standing there watching those disciples take those baskets of bread and baskets of fish and go up and down those rows until who knows 10,000 plus people ate that day. Well, that's a great story already, but uh, let me tell you the rest of it. Can you imagine what happened when he went home? Hey, mother. Hey, mother, would you come out here on the front porch? Do you know that basket? Do you know that lunch you gave me this morning? Hey, mother, there's 12 baskets of it left over. <laughs> now, I know y'all think, Brother God, you have too much fun. Leave me alone, all right? <laughs> Leave me alone. That's been my experience with Christ. When I just surrender and say, Lord, it's yours. My kids, my grandkids, my future, Bill Foe, all of it is, Lord, my, my life, everything I have, all my decisions, Lord, it's yours. And I just stand back time and time again in amazement seeing what God does. In uh, 1990, uh, 2001, 2001. In 93, we came back from Africa, and I pastored my sending church until 2001. And I've already told you, Dr. Sis gets me in trouble. Brother Godfrey, would you pray about? And for seven months, by the way, we gave that real spiritual answer. We'll pray about it. <clears throat> Meaning, there is no way in the world I'm going to go to Japan and Philippines and China and Mongolia. And the, I'm not, you know, my, I'm being honest, my fear. My fear would be I speak French, Wolof, Kikongo, and some Arabic. I'm going to go to Japan. I'll get off the train in the wrong place. Nobody will ever find me again. <laughs> so anyway, in, in 2001, for seven months, we prayed and we agonized because we do want to do what God wants us to do. But we didn't know at that point. We, we hadn't figured it all out yet. We didn't know exactly. And so I went to Japan on a, on a missionary trip. And uh, I came back still struggling with that. And that next week, I was starting a revival with evangelist Tom Farrell, who's my dear friend. And Brother Farrell had no idea what, what we were struggling with and praying about. And he came into my office to pray with me. And he said, Brother Godfrey... I'm surprised you're still here. And he, he didn't have any idea. And that week of revival, his daughter, I, don't, I can't remember her name, Pixie Pirate. <laughs> she wasn't married yet, but uh, they were in our services, that revival. But God used that revival. We had people saved, but God gave us an answer. So in the beginning of 2002, I did the hardest thing I ever did in my life, and that was stand before my church that I loved. God was calling young people into missions. Our giving was going up. The church was growing. And I stood there and told those people that I loved that I was resigning. And it's still emotional when I think about it. And the next day, I was far east field director at BIMI. But I hadn't been a missionary for nine years. Now, you don't understand what that means. But directors 
at BIMI, they don't get any money from BIMI. They don't get paid. They have to raise, their, pay their support in, just like missionaries do. Most of them were missionaries, so they had support, and they're probably going to lose some. I had a big advantage. I couldn't lose any because <laughs> I didn't have any. So here we are. Uh, now I'm no longer pastor, and uh, I'm director, and nobody knows I was director. Nobody cared if I was director, and we had no income, and we're wondering, Lord, how are we going to live? Well, we, we had, I'd gone out to Japan and China and Philippines and came back. And one day we got a letter going through the mail and the bills, you know, the bills do come. And I was going through all that. And I got this bill and it was from our, our a gas company there. And I opened it up and in that, in that letter, <clears throat> how many of you older folk have, have, has this ever happened to you? I opened that letter and there was a refund, refund check from our local gas company for $2,000. Because <laughs> they had sent somebody out to check our gas meter and they had been overcharging us. I did a wedding about that same time. I had three young ladies from a church. I'd promised to do their weddings and then I resigned and they, oh, pastor. I said, no, if I told you I'll do your wedding, I'm going to do it. And I did. One of them, she and her husband were just, they just graduated from Bible college. I never ask, I don't expect anything when I do a wedding. I do them for my church people. I did their wedding. No one ever said anything. They went away a few weeks later. <clears throat> her mother came by, who was my church member, and she had a thank you card. And I thought, boy, that's a thick thank you card. And I opened the card, and it did say thank you. But in that thank you card, and I th just think about this a moment, Bible, recent Bible college graduates, in that card was $600 in cash. Now I can go on and on, and I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to illustrate that when you give what you have to Jesus, you just stand back in amazement at what he will do. Let me go back to that first trip to Japan. I had gone with Dr. Clayton Shumpert, who's my dear friend, and we were in Japan on a working trip. We were down on Okinawa working on, this, working on the building, and on Sunday night I, I preached there. And the group of workers were there also. And there was an older couple from Alabama. They were sitting over on the right side at the front. So I preached. And at the end, I gave an invitation. And Maranatha is a great church. Listen, young people, there are over 500 people in Christian ministry today that either got saved or surrendered in that church in Japan. And I preached that night. And I, when I gave the invitation, people started standing up and coming forward. Well, I saw this young man stand up. I knew he was a Marine. I mean, he stood up straight, had a good haircut, tie on, and he had his uniform on. <clears throat> anyway, I saw him coming, and so I go down to the front, and he comes up, and I take his hand, and I said, young man, why did you come? He said, Brother Godfrey, I need to get saved. Uh, I, I'm down there leading him to Christ in front of Maranatha Baptist Church. This couple from Alabama, they're sitting over there. Now, you know how far it is from Okinawa to Alabama? When I'm, when I'm witnessing to him, I can almost feel somebody staring at me. You've ever been there where you can tell somebody's just looking at? Well, they were staring. And when I finished, they came up and they said, Brother Godfrey, you're never going to believe this. This young Marine was a Sunday school boy in our church in Alabama. And we're on the other side of the world watching him get saved. 
Now, some people would say, what a coincidence. Look, you believe that if you want to believe that. I don't believe that. I think that's of God. Let me give you one more story, and I'm going to quit. I, and I'm not running out of stories. I'm just going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> Way back in the early 70s, there was another young couple, good friends with us, Swante and Linda Lindquist. They were from Mariposa, California. And uh, God had called them to go to work with us in the Sahara. And uh, they were on deputation. And they heard another one of our good friends, missionary Ron White, who worked with Dr. Sis for years in Japan, Brother White stood up that evening in the missions conference and said, I need, I'm praying about some money to help buy an organ for our church and Bible college in Japan. Well, Mrs. Lindquist, Linda Lindquist, she was very musically talented. She played a cello in an orchestra. And God spoke to her immediately and said, I want you to sell that cello and give the money to help buy that organ. You know, can you imagine her going to the Sahara, going down the trails on a camel playing a cello that morning? <clears throat> so she went back to a friend and she said, Sir, could you help me sell my cello? Well, she bought it when she was a college student, paid $100 for it, bought it used. The man looked at it and came back and said, You know, Linda, this, this cello is kind of a, it's kind of an older, rare cello. And this was in the 70s. He, he helped her sell that cello for $4,000. Came to missions conference, came to Brother White and gave him $4,000 to help buy that. And Brother White said, oh, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. Give me half of it and you take the, you're going to have. She said, no, God told me to sell my cello and help buy that organ. Well, that pastor heard that story, and he said, what would it take to buy a new organ? And they did that, and that organ is still there. I see it about every year, and all the Japanese students, they, they learn music, and they learn to play piano and the organ there. And uh, so that's a wonderful story already, how a young missionary lady on, de on dictation sold her cello to help buy or an organ for someplace she never has been. But the story didn't even end there. Over in Japan, there was a young lady uh, Hiroko Matsumoto. Matsumoto Sensei got saved in Japan. She enrolled in her Bible college. Uh, she was not very musically talented. She had to work at it. And the missionary house shares a wall with the church and Bible college there. And this young lady about drove the missionaries crazy trying to learn to play the, that organ because she would, she would play, what a friend! And she'd hit a sour note. And they thought, well, she's got to get it right the next time. No, what a friend. She'd hit the, and she, she almost drove them bananas trying to learn to play that organ, but she did. And God started working in her heart and in her life, and God called her to be a missionary to Africa. Now, do you know how big Africa is? The Sahara, if you could pick up the 48 continental United States, and you could put them down in the Sahara and have room left over around it. And God called this young Japanese lady to be a missionary, and she went to France and learned French and then came down there to learn Wolof. But you know where God sent her? God sent her to the one little city up in Senegal, San Luis, Senegal, where we lived, where that lady lived who sold that cello 20 years before. 
God sent her there so she could play the music in our church on the other side of the world. Now you can say, what a coincidence. You, I feel sorry for anyone who thinks that. Because here's the truth. When we surrender our all, we give him our lunch and everything else we have. We just stand back in amazement at what God's going to do and what God may do in your lives today.